guys, welcome to Chatting with Asians. On this episode, I chat with acclaimed chef Jenny Dorsey. You might have seen her on Food Network shows such as Beat Bobby Flay and Chopped at Home, but she's also known for so many other projects. She runs her pop-up dinner series called Wednesdays, has numerous essays and articles that have been featured on sites like TechCrunch and the Huffington Post, and has collaborated with companies such as Pepsi and Harper's Bazaar. Her latest venture is combining food and poetry with VR technology with her project called Asian in America. But what makes her journey so interesting is the fact that she used to work in management consulting and was on her way to become the youngest MBA candidate at Columbia Business School before enrolling into culinary school. We talk about her career switch, the complexities of Asian American food culture, and dealing with family expectations when you're exploring non-traditional career paths. So here's my chat with Jenny Dorsey. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on my podcast. Yeah, of course. When I saw your website, I was really stunned <laughs> with the amount of work that you've been doing. Oh, thank um, you. To run a nonprofit, host a pop-up dinner series, and then run a podcast and working on a line of ceramics. How do you have time to juggle all of that? Plus being a speaker and a writer and exploring AR and VR. I think... I've just been slowly trying to migrate my interest towards what I do. And so I, the way I think about it is like, I have things that make money and things that don't, and I need to have enough of a balance to make enough money so I can pursue like my artistic uh, things. And mm-hmm. if I can just keep increasing and minimize the amount of time I need to do to make money, but make more money while doing it, then I can have more time to do art related <laughs> items. Um, so I feel like that's like the big thing I've been trying to do this year and like just trying to like maximize like before I start any new project or do any new thing just being like is this a a good use of my time Um, and yeah I I don't know if that really helps but I think just like being able to say like think about all the things I want to do and be like I'm going to prioritize wanting to do these things versus some of the other things that um, other people care about like I don't work out as much as other, I try and work out a little bit every week, but like there are sacrifices that have to be made. So just being able to be like gentle with myself and like let, being able to forgive myself when I can't do everything at once all the time. I mean, I feel like I'm also in the same boat and I don't know if this is like an Asian American thing or not, but I also tend to have a lot of different projects in my life to kind of manage and oversee. And then at some point I do realize, Ooh, maybe I put too much on my plate this time. <laughs> and like, mm-hmm say no to projects or at least like put them off on the sidelines for later it's really hard I mean there's a good Tony Robbins quote um from one of his numerous books um and it's like I mean this is his books that say the same thing like just in different ways (laughs) and then he makes like five million dollars um but anyway it's about like as you get better at your craft you're gonna have more opportunities and what you need to figure out is like which opportunities are worthwhile and like I I feel like at first I was like, I'm not even good at my craft. Nobody wants to to hire me. But now I'm like, no, I I am good at what I do. But now I need to think about like, who do I actually want to work with? And was that kind of like a mentality that you had, especially moving from like management consulting and doing your MBA into culinary? Or 
were you still kind of like learning the process and freaking out every once in a while? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I have like a, cri- like a life crisis like every two years or so. <laughs> it's like an ongoing crisis, I think. And I think that's a good thing because if you're like not having those crises, you just get one large crisis when you're like 50 and you're like, I actually hate everything I've done in my life. You know and what I mean? you buy like the Mercedes Benz or the Tesla. Right, <laughs> yeah. And then you buy shit to fill like a hole in your heart that can't be filled with stuff or like get a trophy totally. life. <laughs> yeah, we've we've all seen those people. Um, yeah, no, I think I like manage this uh, this constant like it, I don't know if it's an Asian American thing or definitely for me. I also just have um, have always had issues with depression and anxiety. Is like this like oh like how do I how do I keep going? There's, it's never like oh I feel I feel good now. Like I don't ever mm-hmm. feel this like just calming sense of satisfaction that I've like done everything I need to be doing. Like I'm always like okay, there's like there's more. There's more I need to do. Like, what am I going to do next year? For me, um, I, I have a birthday coming up. And every year around my birthday, I always get especially nervous being like, oh, what did I do this year? I didn't do enough this year. What am I going to do next year? Um, yeah. And so it's like trying to balance the, the like positive side of that, which kind of keeps you striving forward and like the negative side of that, which makes you kind of like a nervous wreck um, mm-hmm. and always like perpetually doubt yourself. But I'm like definitely still working through that. Yeah, I'm also feeling the same way where I've kind of switched around between like accounting. Now I'm in marketing analytics. And now I'm like, oh, you know, I still have this like itch to like do something a little creative. And as I'm approaching 30, it's definitely a side of me and a very much Asian American thing where I'm like, how do I explain this to my parents? Right, for sure, for sure. I mean, did you have to think about that when you thought about taking the sabbatical like how do I explain this and did that give you panic attacks or like what was your process like dealing Uh, with it I mean so I don't have a really close relationship with my family ever since I um left I just changed careers so Mm -hmm. like when I first changed careers I still was talking to them relatively frequently and I think like they just didn't understand what I was doing. They never, they didn't understand why I wanted to go, wanted to go to culinary school at all and were really not supportive of that. And I think for the next like two years or so when I was still kind of feeling out the food industry and figuring out what I wanted to do, um, it became this thing where they just kind of pretended it didn't exist. And yeah. so it, they would ask my husband all the time, like, what, is, what was he doing? Because he's in startups and he's been at, you know, fancy startups that people like to always ask questions about. So it was like easy for them to kind of deflect. And it kind of got to a point where it's like, you don't seem to care what I'm doing. So mm-hmm. I don't need to be in this relationship. Um, yeah. It's big, it, this relationship is a lot more destructive than it's helpful. And there's just it became to a point where it's like, I can't live my life for you guys anymore because mm-hmm. there's, there's so much of that from Asian Americans um, from, especially I'm a first generation and my parents moved to the U S uh, right after I was born. And then I joined them a few years later and mm-hmm. there's so much in their lives. I think that they wanted to do, but they weren't able to do it because they gave up, you know, it was a different time back then. You had to have kids young and all this stuff. And, they sacrificed a lot and I'm not denying that but at the same time like so much of that pressure is then put on the kids because you want essentially the kid to live the life that you couldn't have and like no one is happy doing that it's just a lose-lose situation for everyone there's so much resentment on both sides and I finally was like you know if I die angry and unhappy like I'm the only one who has to bear that pain they don't have to bear it and like I don't want to live like that um So, yeah, I stopped talking to them, like, two years ago. Two years ago. Uh, we just started, like, vaguely emailing back and forth. But, like, I haven't seen them in, like, a very long time. So mm-hmm. I just 
consider it like not um you know at some point I'm sure we'll try and like rekindle our relationship but honestly I've I've spoken to a lot of Asian Americans about how to deal with this and I, I maybe this sounds harsh but it's like their problem is not your problem yeah and it's part of our like Asian American upbringing like children's are kind of the faces of the family right mm-hmm. like it's all about saving face exactly and like every time you go to like a big family dinner reunion whatever it is right I mean the only thing that ever gets talked about is like oh so like what is your cousin doing oh so what is your niece and nephew doing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it just becomes kind of a comparison game and like knowing the expectation of going to this family dinner and being like okay what's the status update of my life what sounds good right um ends up being not really healthy as an adult surprisingly enough (laughs) yeah exactly it's so much like there's um so much comparison and there's this like vague feeling i think growing up um in asian american communities that like everyone is essentially the same and so you're always seeing like who grows like who grows metaphorically higher right Mm -hmm. and farther and it's like you it takes a really long time i think to realize that you're everybody's really different you're comparing apples to oranges and some of the people who are the most successful you know on paper are just like the biggest fucking waste of space like in the world and like it's just it's hard yeah I noticed that you had published your own articles on hyphen magazine and um what was the other one oh on medium kind of not just revolve on like your culinary experiences but like really bringing the emotions of your experience as an Asian American into your food, especially with your series on Asian and American, the symbolic three course menu. Mm -hmm. How did it feel to like be able to have the creative power to do something like that and to like openly share your experiences with people? Um, I think it was hard to really be vulnerable. I mean, my husband and I have been running a pop-up series called Wednesdays for the last Mm -hmm. few years. And the big thing is like, how do you push people to be really vulnerable and open with others? And um, although that was like what we always preached, like it's really hard to do that in practice. And what I've learned through that process, like really taking an introspective look at myself and like my failings is like, you cannot ask people to do that if you're not willing to do it first. It's Mm -hmm. like, I say it all the time. And like, people kind of are like, give me that like, yeah, that's great. Like, look, but like, it's really true. Like, it's like, you can't ask people to share things with you that are harmful and painful and serious, if you're not going to reciprocate. And if you want them to do that, you should probably be leading that charge. Um, And Asian in America is really kind of my um, way of saying like, you know, if this is something I'm serious about, if this is the brand that I care about, if this is the message that I want to put out into the world, then, like, I have to go step up and, like, actually do this first and say that, like, I'm willing to, you know, deal with the shit that people are going to throw back at me. Because if I can't deal with that, then, like, I don't deserve to have this brand anyway. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just, like, spouting bullshit, essentially, which is what most Instagram people do. But, like, anyway, that's a different story. Um, like, it's just how, like, how do I actually like walk the walk, right? And I think Asian mm-hmm. America has been really hard because I have dealt with a lot of like weird undercurrents of racism and just mean stuff for the mm-hmm. lack of better term because of it. Um, just, I, I think it's it, when you make people uncomfortable, you don't know how they're going to react. And sometimes mm-hmm. some people are so uncomfortable with being uncomfortable that they like react in these crazy ways. They say things or they're just, not no one's been violent thank god but like they just say crazy things or react in these like i don't know i uncharacteristic ways like even people that i know they're it's like they suddenly don't know what to do and 
I think especially in the U.S. where we're trained to be um, extroverts and we're trained to always be talking, it's very hard for people, especially when talking to um, people who are of a major- like you know of a very privileged background, to actually just listen to you instead of like opining. Um, so anyway, it's been an interesting like psychological lesson learning how to deal with people who are rude or negative. But I think for the most part, the support has been way like overshadowed the negatives. Like I've received a lot of awesome messages and also face-to-face interactions with people, not just Asian Americans, but I think minorities from all different um, races and ethnicities and even people who I guess that you wouldn't consider minorities like Italians or something from Italy and just like talking about um, some of the shared experiences that they have you know they didn't necessarily have the exact same experience but like something very very similar Um, for one for example this Italian told me that he it really resonated with him there's a a section where um, I'm talking it's one of the desserts and I'm talking about like you know feeling like you want to go to sleep and just wake up and be blonde so you can fit in and he was talking about how he thought really resonated with him. And I was just like, huh? Like, you know, I was like so surprised, but yeah. at the same time, like, wow, like it's like, these are all these universal feelings. And if we can talk about feelings and then understand like culture, I think as part of those feelings, I think we can be a little bit more kind and gentle towards each other. And I think it's such a really great initiative, especially like nowadays. Right? Uh-huh, Just, uh-huh. It's nice that you're able to like give kind of like a safe, vulnerable space in a way even if people do react negatively to it, at least it allows for like more honest connections in a way. And I don't know, it just sounds like a really nice initiative during these times. Yeah, I think it's, especially now people are realizing there's just so much like inequity in basically everything we do. And it's been, you know, trickled down and like, it's, it's just like a pervasive. Um, I mean, I for one, I didn't even realize how bad things were when I like, I look back to my childhood and I'm like, wow, I literally did not have like a single like Asian American like person in a book that I could read about or anything, you know, like, I mean, I just, you just don't even notice. And so now that finally people, this is something that like the media and also just people in general are shedding more light on. I think it's important to like really hone in on it and be like, yeah, like let's talk about this now because we can't just let it fall to the wayside or say it's like not important because mm-hmm. then, you know, who knows what will happen. Um, yeah, so I, I think this is like a, the right time to really <laughs> actually focus on this. Yeah, exactly. Kind of speaking about Asian American figures, do you personally have any culinary figures that are Asian American specifically that you admire? Um, I wouldn't say like Asian Americans in food. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Kristen Kish. Actually, I was just looking at her Instagram today. Um, <laughs> She's like probably my favorite Asian American. Um, And she, I mean, she's Korean, but she was adopted by uh, a white family. So I don't know if that like, doesn't make her Asian American or something, but um, yeah, I'm a big fan of her. Whole episode of that. Right, exactly. That's like a whole, right. So um, no, I would say, I think she's fabulous. I think she's just like really, she's just a very genuine person. And I appreciate that. I feel like she does what she says she does. And she's like, look at me, like, this is what I do. And I'm, I'm like, I stand for queer women. And so I'm going to actually like do these events with queer women in the community and foster that community. Like she, I, um, I'm friends with these two women who run like a queer supper club here in New York. And they reached out to her and like, they're just a small business. And she was like, yes, I'll do it. Like, you know, for yeah. a big name, like her to do something like that's because she actually gives a shit. So like, yeah. I really respect that. Oh, here's a kind of like a fun question. 
if you could cook a three or five course menu for anyone dead or alive, who would you like to cook for? Oh, I was just talking to um, Tribeca Film Institute about this. And I was like, Michelle Obama. But I have like no idea what kind of food Michelle would like besides like it would be healthy, right? Because that was like her whole thing. <laughs> like lots of vegetables. Um, but yeah, I would love to cook her something. And like, I don't know, just like be able to like talk to her and then get, like learn about the a topic she cares about and do kind of more of like the food art, like interpretive stuff that I do where, um, you know, like, give her one of the I don't know if you saw I think in one of my essays I was talking about this uh, plate that's like plated in a lunchbox and it's about like the shame around lunch um, lunchtime routines like give that something like that to her and like talk about it because mm-hmm. I feel like she would be into it moving into lunches I I don't know about you but I've well, I've had personal experiences where my mom would cook me like Chinese greens rice and like soy chicken which doesn't sound like crazy insane to me but I have gotten remarks as a kid like oh your food is kind of smelling or it's kind of weird Mm -hmm. what is that but nowadays it's like I think because of like social media and like celebrity chefs like David Chang more people are now like trying to be open about Asian food right because that's the new culinary frontier so all of a sudden you get people who are interested in dumplings and bone broths and pho or whatever like how do you feel about people who like now pay for like upwards of like $20 for bone broth and like you know goji bears are like the new trend food like I because to me half of me feels like oh this is a great gateway into like Asian food but the other half of me is like y'all call this food weird and smelly before like (laughs) yeah yeah I mean I think it's it's hard I I was talking about this I feel like I talk about this a lot and so like there I have so many thoughts I'll just try I'll try to condense them and make it um, I think one, like, I guess generally it's a good thing that there's like mainstream appeal. It's good that things are getting more popular and it's good that people, you know, there's eyeballs on it. However, I think that it's like fundamentally upsetting that a one food is used as clickbait because it's a trend and then it's basically something you can like, you know, you can dispose of at your leisure. This is like why Native Americans are not happy when you like put on um, those like huge kind of like the ceremonial like um, headgear mm-hmm. for Halloween, right? It's the same thing. It's like our culture isn't at isn't some a costume that you can wear, and it's the same thing with food. It's not like oh, I'm just gonna put some soy sauce in this and being like oh, it's kind of Chinese now. Like that's just crazy. Um, so I think that's a big problem. It's like how do you actually generate media and interest in it, and it's in a way that's not like trendy. It's like just appreciation Mm -hmm. so that at some points when I've received for instance when I receive like things back from editors that I pitch when I'm writing like oh we already did an Asian angle so we don't want to cover it again like I hear that all the time and that's like oh so then there's like a quota system for like how much um like Asian stuff you can cover but you can cover like dumb crappy American food for the rest of the year (laughs) right like that's like what like what is that balance like what is is Asian American food, not American food. So like there's that situation going on. And then it's, I really do feel like if you're going to, if you're from a different culture and you're cooking that culture's food, then you do as a chef, you do have a responsibility to be doing something for that culture as well. Like, and that something can be different for everyone, but it's like, how, how are you taking someone else's food, but you're not giving back at all. You're just profiting off it. Mm -hmm. Like, is innately, of course, going to rub people the wrong way and it's innately just disrespectful. So, like, 
for all the white male chefs that have like, oh, suddenly become like Mexican chefs or, you know, Thai chefs or whatever, like, well, what, like, what, what are you doing to really help that culture besides like talk about the food sometimes or Mm -hmm. like just whitewash their food and make it more palatable to like these different audiences. Like, so that's a whole another conversation we can have for like 10 hours um you know and I and it's not just like white people to Asian people either it's like look at David Chang he literally became famous making Japanese food and he is an asshole you know and so I think it's just it's like it's a it's complicated is that okay because he's Asian so like Asians can steal each other's things but we can't steal it but other people can't steal our things like what does that mean right so Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of there's a lot to unravel there. And I think like it's, it is okay that there are people I'm sure who made fun of others for having like gross lunches um, when they were young and now they've learned better. But like, I would like to hope that those people learn better because they actually came to appreciate and understand the food versus like, Oh, matcha is cool. So I guess I like matcha now. Like, how do you, there's an intellectual, I think um, depth that I hope that, people actually have when they're addressing new, the cultures of, the cultures and the foods of different cultures mm-hmm. nowadays but it's honestly like you just can't expect that for all people yeah yeah so like I grew up in San Francisco most of my life lived in LA for the last two to three years almost um and right now I'm based in Helsinki and even in Helsinki like there's this oh cool yeah it's been it's been really interesting so far it's now getting way too dark too often now but oh no (laughs) yeah um but even here in Helsinki there's kind of a wave of interest in and especially Chinese food but each city that I've kind of had the experience of living in has such different like Asian food scenes do you think there's a growing future for like the Asian food scene in the next five years? Or do you think it's just all hype right now? Or? I mean, I think it's, there's definitely a lot more that needs to be explored with Asian cuisine. I think people are starting to realize, I mean, it's, there's like a good, good significant majority. No, I don't know if it's a majority, but yeah. Yeah. A majority of the world is Asian. <laughs> so like, obviously there's a lot to unravel there in terms of like what people are eating, mm-hmm. but also I mean, personally, I just find that a lot of, like, American, the American palette and, like, also a lot of the Western European palette is somewhat bland. Yeah. Like, that's a generalization. There's, there are pockets that are not bland. Like, you know, so, like, Creole cuisine is great. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but I think we all know why that is. I think, like, people are starting to be like, oh, there's, like, all these flavors. Like, I'm, as people also become, like, more progressive and, like, liberal and the younger population, they like want to explore. They don't actually want to be confined to the same old stuff mm-hmm. that um, maybe felt comfortable for their parents. So I think with that becomes a lot of like interest in Asian flavors and Asian cuisine and traveling to Asia. And, you know, that's like a virtuous cycle. Yeah. Kind of speaking about like the future generation of Asian Americans and the culinary world. The reason why I started this podcast was mainly because there's like a young generation of Asian Americans that have all this technology now in high school that I never had for Asian American kids who are like now exploring other creative career paths and maybe interested in, in pursuing culinary. Do you have any advice for them on kind of how to navigate the world right now? 
Um, I think it's, it's for people who want to go into something creative in general, I would say like you just have to do it and like you constantly are finding like what does creativity like mean for you? And sometimes I think people are like, oh, if I go into food, that's creative. But I would argue like there's plenty of people not doing creative things in food um, that are going in and making the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. Like look at every new American restaurant in New York right now. (laughs) Like, you know, um, there's like, there's definitely ways you can get caught in a rut. And I think what's more important to teach like the, the younger generation that's coming up and trying to find their ways, like figure out what, what kind of creativity like makes you excited and try to apply that to like different things that hopefully some can make you money and some can't. But, like, what is it that makes you feel creative? For me, like, I like to work with my hands. And, like, I cook, obviously. And so cooking has to be, like, actually cooking, not, like, styling or not, like, writing. Mm -hmm. You know, those are also food-related careers. Like, actually cooking um, a certain type of food. Also, like, I don't like to cook in volume. I I like to make certain types of plates. Like, those are the things. Those are my confines of, like, how, where I feel the most creative. And then I also like to do pottery. And I... I'm not invested in that to make any money, but it's like, that's how I can be creative and take a break from my other creative thing. Um, So yeah, just like kind of finding, finding that create like source of creativity versus saying like, Oh, I'm creative and I want to go into food. And then just thinking that like um, an industry can be creative, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, versus like certain tasks. Yeah. And it kind of sounds like at least along your way, you've been able to highlight like, your own different strengths and weaknesses and kind of make it your own thing right like nothing is ever really predefined the way it is forever right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think especially growing up like thinking okay the safe routes right traditionally are doctor lawyer accountant whatever Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know obviously you moved away from management consulting and and doing your MBA into something that like fulfills you a little bit more right and it's it's probably hard to explain that, but like, it just feels better. Yeah. I mean, I, I I mean, for management consulting, I think that's an easy one. Like I, like it was like a soul crushing, totally worthless job. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what half half of the management consultants are doing. And I was a management consultant. So I still feel very entitled to say that. Like I literally did nothing. Like I did, I like physically did things like tactically, like made PowerPoints, but like literally what use did they do for the world like absolutely nothing yeah and like I actually listened to a really interesting my favorite podcast is called Hidden Brain and they had an episode called Bullshit Jobs where like tons of people worldwide are like will say like I think my job is total bullshit I don't think I contribute anything to the world and you hear it from people from accountants to paramedics which I'm like uh. but like tons of people feel this way about their job and like that is what I was afraid of waking up and feeling this like bone crushing like literally I could fall off the cliff tomorrow and literally nobody would care and my job would just like disappear and it wouldn't have mattered because I wasn't doing anything anyway like that's a horrible thing to feel um so I I don't wish that upon anyone like I think it was it's not I know it's scary to like leave a comfortable job, but like, I think it's scarier to think about what happens as you continue down the path of the comfortable job. Yeah, totally. And like, I, I have grown into the mindset now. Cause like, I think I've tried doing the safe route, like in accounting and it just didn't work out for me. And yeah. I grew into the mindset of when I'm on my deathbed, 
no one's going to come rushing by my side and be like, hey, remember the extra 10 hours you put in on that day? Yeah, we really yeah. appreciate it, right? Yeah, exactly. That was so great. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you, Angie. <laughs> One of the other questions I had for you, obviously you've done so many different kinds of collaborations and, and artistic projects and working with tech companies, Fortune 500 companies, local organizations, nonprofits. Out of all these projects and collaborations, if you could pick the top three memorable ones, what would they be and why? Ooh, um, that's a good question. I mean, um, if I can pick both like paid and unpaid things, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, Paid-wise, I've been, wor- been working with an appliance brand called Dash for years now. Um, we published two books together. Um, I've done tons of like everything from development to like some product stuff to, you know, food and books and anyway um Mm -hmm. and that has been because it's been such a long time client I've had a really good time learning about myself and also having a pretty safe and and paid space to try on new things like that was the first place I ever did food styling Mm. um and like I actually don't really like food styling but like it does pay well and I do it occasionally if it, it makes sense um and I just like learned a lot about like why don't I like this you know what I mean um, mm-hmm. sometimes how do you know you don't like something unless you actually go and do it? Like, I don't really like being a barista, but I didn't know until I was a barista for a few months. And I was like, yeah. mm, people are so mean to baristas for no reason. That's, <laughs> oh, no. I don't know why. Um, but yeah, so like, I thought that was like a, just a really beneficial relationship in terms of me growing as a professional, as a person, um, as a photographer, as a stylist, um, and also like as a recipe developer, like I, they have a pretty set kind of audience like very American kind of like Midwest you know the, the same audience really is like Scripps Network mm-hmm. um, and developing recipes for them were hard and also like for me learning that fine line of like what am I comfortable with there's definitely some recipes I'm like oh this is a Thai recipe but it's not really Thai like I did that a few years ago and now I'm like I don't know if I would do that today you know and like mm-hmm. that's a learning process we're not perfect you make mistakes and like it's kind of good to be able to say like hmm like, what did I learn from that experience or having done that now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there's definitely like a benefit to kind of doing like a career switching of sorts, right? Like, I, I think because I used to be so obsessed about like, okay, here's like the one path for me and I should follow that. I think a lot of it's like kind of like high school or university training, right? You're taught to like, okay, if you want to major in this, here are the classes to take and here's how you get like better and better in advance and whatnot and your diploma but in the real world like and so much more complex than that and I think it's amazing that you've been able to navigate all these different projects and kind of like take away from all these experiences to like build something that you're a part of right now right at this stage Mm -hmm. I I think the big thing is like I always feel like there's something or like that I guess this goes back to what we were talking about earlier is like they're always feeling like there's like something else that I should be doing or learning and like I think that it's it is sad to me because I think we've all been there if you've been in a corporate job you know when you go into the job you're all excited because it's a new job you try to make all these changes and then you feel like everybody's just saying no to you because they don't want to make changes because they just want everything to like chod like along forever this in the same way and it's like just like intellectual laziness mm-hmm. and like I think for that's just like a microcosm of it in a work environment but like I think a lot of people unfortunately fall into that trap in their life like it's just like 
you just have kids and then you like go do something else or you have another kid and then you like I don't know like get a few promotions and you buy like three houses and like you know and it's like well what are things that you are like actively learning or trying to get better at or like a new hot it doesn't have to be like a crazy new hobby that you decide to change your career to but like a new hobby or set some goals for yourself like I think those are the things that like keep life interesting or having a shared experience with your partner that is different Um, we went mushroom hunting the other day and we were terrible but like now we've done it and now we kind of want to go again and it's like I don't know just um I just bought the Noma book on fermentation which is a lot larger than I thought it would be it's huge um and I'm like oh I'm really excited to like learn about this because I'm a chef but I don't I know I have very very precursory knowledge on fermentation and like this is something I should be like learning is the best is like the point of life I I Mm -hmm. personally believe so yeah yeah it's a super random question do you watch Rick and Morty I don't oh no okay well (laughs) (laughs) like there's no requirement for everyone to like have the two kids and the white picket fence and like the nice home and the car right there's no requirement for that because your life is your life uh there's this one episode in Rick and Morty where it's basically like a crazy science science fiction show um about like a crazy scientist and dragging his nephew on like dangerous adventures and they go to this arcade that's like located somewhere in space so like all these aliens are playing different games that aren't on earth and one of them is called Roy and the like the aim of the game in this in this Roy game is that you just play this character named Roy you start off as like a boy and you just grow up and you can choose whether he like becomes a manager of a company or not you know oh. you can basically go through these life paths and like it's just the most boring existence <laughs> it's a video game and like you get points for like whether or not you have like a 401k at the end of your life oh or <laughs> it's a really good now. episode if you if you ever have time to like chill that's like number one episode for me <laughs> really? okay okay cool <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome and like yeah it's like black mirror but not scary yeah so, exactly <laughs> it's like really, really real but not scary oh yeah yeah <laughs> and the show's like definitely a lot more stupid than than black mirror so <laughs> oh man i we're kind of like winding down to the end of the interview i'm like basically running out of questions um obviously because you you have so many different projects going on and you juggle so many different things like what do you like to do when you're like when you want to chill out, relax, and just, like, not think about it? Or do you always think about your projects? Um, no, I mean, I definitely try. I, for the, I've really been trying to stick to, like, a not doing stuff on weekends policy. I mean, obviously, that doesn't really work out because sometimes there's events on weekends. But then I'll try to take, like, two days after the event or something like that and just, like, not check my email and not do things or, like, whatever. Um, so usually when I'm not doing anything – Um, I like to like do other things on like I have like a list of places that I want to eat or like a list of activities that I want to do like I'm really into feeling like I did certain things just for me like going Mm -hmm. on this mushroom walk that we did like two weeks ago like I like I that was like not useful for anything well we got some (laughs) mushrooms but they weren't very tasty Um, (laughs) and like that was just because like I wanted to do it and I feel like it's really important to feel like I did this because like there was no other reason besides I wanted to do it because I'm you have like I'm the most important person in my life, you know. Like I have to take care of myself. Um, my husband comes in a close second, 
but I am the most important person, you know? So like, um, and I have to like, make sure that like, I have to take care of myself. And I don't know, it's, it's a struggle of trying to figure out what that means sometimes. And sometimes it's like, I want to go take a walk. So I'll go to the park with my dog. And that's it. Like, it doesn't have to be a grandiose thing. But yeah, just trying to reserve space for myself. Yeah. And that's so important too. like, even for me, I, I get caught up in just like, lacking in self-care that I could take the time to like invest in right so like on the days where I'm feeling like super anxious or super stressed like it should be a good reminder to me like wait I'm the most important person here like right now on this earth to Mm -hmm. me in my life right like just take like a five minute breather to like meditate or watch stupid tv or go out for a walk like whatever Whatever. yeah yeah whatever makes you happy because it's like no one's gonna do it for you Exactly. And then what's the point of like running, making yourself unhappy for other people? Like exactly. Cause they're not more important than you are. Yeah. Um, how long have you been running the podcast? Uh, not very long. I only had the, well, I had the idea for about a year now. So like my boyfriend works in the video game industry and he was at an event, like an esports event in LA. So I went with him and it was like a live taped audience show. And I had met, this Taiwanese American kid who was like, he actually ended up winning in that game, won a huge amount of prize money. And after the show, you know, finished taping, we all hung out afterwards, kind of like a wrap up party thing. So this kid who had just won, you know, flew in from Pittsburgh and met all these other kids who were interested in the same game. But when I talked to his mom, his mom was like, no, he's not going to do this anymore. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, oh, no, like, I, I don't want him to continue in video games. You know, he, he has why, like, why? I think, <laughs> like, I think she, she thought games were silly. You don't pursue games. Like there's nothing in it. Right. right. You just, it's not a profession that's like respectable. Right. And I, I wasn't trying to argue with her, but I was trying to calmly tell her like, well, there's so many video game companies now that require software engineers, computer scientists, like, even if he's not a video gamer, like, there's still, like, a technical need for people to go into video games, even artists, right, and designers. There's also and, a lot of people making money playing video games. Right, yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> That's her angle, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, she kind of bought it, but not really, right? And she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, maybe, but... I think that was what kind of spawned the idea for this podcast was like this kid had access to Reddit, a whole wealth of information on the internet for him to feel lonely in Pittsburgh and to always be around his parents and like kind of a tiger mom figure. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh man, I saw so much of myself in that kid. I kind of wanted to create this podcast to like talk to other Asian Americans who do other things. That was just something I never grew up with. Like, I didn't know what other career paths there were, really. Yeah, I think it's, like, so important to see a representation that, like, Asian Americans can do a lot of things and be a lot of types of people. And some of them are, like, you know, Asian Americans can be, like, bad people, too. And, like, just being, like, the whole point of individualism um, is, like, that you can be an individual. Like, there's no, (laughs) there's literally no, like, there's no ifs or when like it's like that's just it and being like oh that that person who's asian american doing x thing like doesn't actually reflect on me they just are Mm -hmm. another person and i'm free to do who like whatever i am and i'm not being compared to them because we're not the same 
Like if I play video games, but that other person is a lawyer, like that doesn't make him better than me because we're literally different. Yeah, exactly. just feeling, yeah, feeling the acceptance to actually do that from the community and from your parents, I think. And sometimes you just can't get it from your parents. I never got it from mm-hmm. my parents. And like, mm-hmm. just being able to say, I'm going to still go be a person despite this. Yeah, even for me, I still struggle with that. Trying to just remember my life is like my own path. And I think social acceptance is like, unfortunately, one of the core values of like being an Asian American. <laughs> like, I don't know, at least for me, like I've yeah. always, I've always had to kind of look for social acceptance in order to somehow feel better for myself. And it's like, totally not the case. I know that. But I still have to remind myself about that. Yeah, I mean, I think we're all kind of like wired to want social acceptance. But then like, being in an Asian American community, I feel like it's like, it's even more so because there's such a lack of um, emphasis on uh, like, being your own person. And like, Mm -hmm. that is not seen as a good thing. So then it's like, how good you are is only how much people think you are good at things or Mm -hmm. accept you as who as who you are. So you're always trying to like, be a different person for everyone else's sake. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Of course. Thank you for having me. 